Tonight's episode of Nightmare University is brought to you by Fangoria.com. It's a little crazy out there right now, so Fangoria is offering a free two-month digital membership to everyone. Go to Fangoria.com for more information and to make an account. Then pour over all the exclusive articles, interviews, and reviews on the site, as well as original video content and podcast. You'll even have access to high-resolution scans of the first 15 issues of the original run of Fangoria magazine, and counting. Go to Fangoria.com now and start your free digital membership. And if you're looking to add to your social distancing watch list, Fangoria's latest movie, VFW, is now available to stream on demand, and Satanic Panic is streaming on Shudder now. And I am honored to be inviting onto Nightmare University producer Dave Lawson and filmmakers Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah. And so you guys have a um, great legacy of a kind of time travel adjacent films. I won't say that any of them, well, your recent one is directly about it, but all of your other ones kind of use it as a nuance or a twist or something that we learned throughout. And so kind of walk us through resolution and the start and then up through your new one, Synchronic. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, all of our movies we realized probably will have to do with time and not necessarily as a sci-fi element or anything, but in the same way, even Richard Linklater's movies are all about how time moves through people and that sort of a thing. Um, and, uh, so everything that I think it's because time is horrifying to us. And, um, so resolution was the first one where you, it, it takes place in seven days and there is a man who imprisons his estranged junkie best friend, um, in a an unfinished house in the middle of the boonies of San Diego, in order to give him to force him through one week of sobriety, but all of those events are manipulated by something, a mystery that is to be un- uncovered through the movie, and uh, and that one isn't quite so overtly about time until the last ten seconds mm-hmm. of the movie, and then you realize what's what it is. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's resolution. And by the time that it rolled into the endless, it had kind of grown into a bigger thing. When you guys were approaching the endless, did you do research into kind of time travel and how it would function and time loops and things like that? Hmm. No, I'm, well, it's that's an interesting question because uh, the endless doesn't do that. The endless doesn't go into. Um, any of like the physics behind time travel mm-hmm. at all um th- there's a feeling in the movie that it's that it's a real thing linked to almost like a haunted geology to this region and and other things that are i guess would be spoilers but um it's there but it doesn't really get into the physics of it but the weird thing about that is is like when i'm watching time travel movies or reading time travel books i'm like Personally, I know I'm probably mostly alone on this. I'm way more interested in the how of the time travel than I am the plot twist that can take place because of the time travel. <laughs> mm. like, when I, like when I read uh, Michael Crichton's timeline, I just love the chapter when the doctors give all the exposition. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh my yeah. gosh, I, yeah. Just, I just like hearing about using quantum, quantum mechanics to get, <laughs> into, get into the multiverse and all this. Yeah. I find that fascinating, whereas like, oh, timeline's not a bad story. I just like 
if my highlight of that book is literally the two two or three chapters of exposition of scientists saying out loud how the time travel works. Especially if it's a theory you haven't heard before. Like that, that yes. one. Because right. the one yeah. in timeline is the multiverse one, right? right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and how that relates to... It's more double slit experiment stuff, early quantum mechanics yeah. stuff, because it's written in 19, right. 1998. The, the quick version of that being, and jump in when I'm when I'm starting to mess this up, but you're not actually ta- traveling off into the past or the future or anything like that. You're jumping to a multiverse that just has a different time than you. So you're just you're just splitting off into a branched universe that is uh, otherwise identical, but just happens to be in the 1400s. So that's that's how that one works. Um, I remember that book so much because, um, and this is kind of the part that resonates with me, but the damage that was done on the body. And every single time that they jumped, that something would come back slightly amiss. Either like your blood vessels attached yes, the wrong transcription way. Transcription errors. Yeah, these transcription errors that would happen. And that was the part that I took with me. Um, yeah. The word phloem, or quantum foam, and then phloem because I have kids. Um, or And the idea that... Um, your body kind of rebuilds itself in different pathways every time you jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Actually, there's a lot of uh, philosophy about that um, when I was studying it in college because they were talking about, it wasn't about time travel, but it's the same idea um, because there's got to be a point at which your consciousness does the jump. And the question is, of course, and this this happens in a lot of games and movies, is like, do they just kill you in one place and rebuild you in another and you and you know you don't know it? Uh, or does, is there actually some kind of a transference atom by atom, you know, neuron by neuron in your brain of consciousness? And at some point, does it break? Um, and a flow, you know, a, a break in consciousness should be death. And so, um, and I never get to ask anybody this, what is your favorite kind of time travel theory or concept? Do you each have one that you're completely fascinated by? Oh, man, I think it's a tie between using many worlds theory and uh and block state universe i like those two what's block state universe block state universe is just basically it's in terms of a philosophy it's like this philosophy of eternalism where it's like you there's no place to go at the end of your life but sort of back to the beginning Mm -hmm. so you are sort of looping in eternalism but i but i think in terms of like the the physics theories behind it it's a combination of Einstein's relativity and again quantum mechanics Um, but it's just basically that we just perceive that we're moving through time when actually everything is more like happening simultaneously Mm -hmm. and and there's no place to go it never ends and there's growing block state which the future hasn't happened yet and that part's growing and if you want to see a movie about it, it's called Synchronic. <laughs> so tell me a little um, bit. Of, oh, go ahead. Yes, your no, no, favorite. Sorry. No, no, no. I want top ten. No, I think I think I think we all uh, did a deep dive into yeah. into Block for Synchronic, and I think yeah. that, that kind of became our favorite by default. Um, but the one the one that I like the most is Faster Than Light time travel. <laughs> Oh, uh, time dilation via special relativity. Yes. So that's, uh, but that's one from Interstellar. Uh, and well, that, that's the thing is the, um, the idea being if you can go faster than light, of course, uh, actually, or get near it, get near it, then you can, um, you can either jump forward in time or because space time is curved, if it's, it's currently curved kind of like the surface of the earth or something mm-hmm. like that. But if it curves the other direction, it can curve back on itself, creating a wormhole. 
and you can arrive before you left, basically. Wow. And that's real physics. Yeah. That's real. Like Stephen Hawking wrote about this before he passed away. Like time. that is real stuff. Uh, wow. t- time, li- time dilation via special relativity is literally observable. Mm-hmm. Like using yeah. like helium beam yeah. clocks on a vessel. Yeah. 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 We, we've actually been able to jump forward in time, but only by milliseconds and very small things. I read that. That's, re- that's real. Like that is just a fact because that's what relativity is. Um, but uh, but it's wild as the idea like, yeah, I mean, if we can find a way to accelerate fast enough, it has to be faster than light um, to, in order to go back because uh, that would bend it back upon itself and basically make a wormhole. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. OK. Like but super, that's real. Superman, that <laughs> super too. But, but so, something that I, I so, <laughs> can also spin the earth backwards. <laughs> on stage, on stage did you just go Superman too? I did say Superman. Okay, too. Superman too. As, <laughs> as as we sort of talk about, you know, like first two semesters of physics, the interesting stuff professors stay, say, so they can keep their students yeah. interested and go do real work someday. Um, there's this interesting thing where, you know, when you when you used to to uh, tell stories in science fiction, you know, back when the Twilight Zone first came out Mm -hmm. or something. You know, you could use some idea, a grain from science to tell this story. And again, science fiction. But now I feel like when you do it, I feel like you're contributing to like almost the culture of of conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. in a weird way where it's like you're taking something that should be a serious science, but you're turning it into um, arguably kind of things used in like the New Age movement. I mean, the Space Force currently has the Star Trek logo. (laughs) Like, they're definitely ganking stuff from sci-fi and turning it real. But but you're also opening yourself up for Neil deGrasse Tyson to be like, that's not how that would work. Right. I I would love for Neil deGrasse Tyson to, like, completely debunk one of my movies. That would make my day. Um, But I've always found that fascinating um, how science fiction, we seem to aim towards it. Like, somebody creates something... And then that's where science kind of points itself and says, hey, could we actually create that dinosaur DNA? Because that's something we could do. And throughout history, I mean, even back when I did the aquatic um, horror episode, it was looking at somebody created the submarine in books. And then somebody said, hey, I think I can build that. And it was like, you know, and that has happened time and time again throughout my Star Trek communicator of a phone I'm holding and things like that, where we see it in movies, something that people have created, and then we decide to, to create it in life. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny because you don't realize it, but as a, uh, I shouldn't say as a filmmaker, as a creator of, of media for mass consumption, uh, you have an enormous obligation to, to hopefully... Um, be a role model for society because that's what it's going to slowly become. Not necessarily just one person's work, but if something gets enough, you know, Wikipedia is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm-hmm. and we're not using it the way that it's used in the book. But um, but it is a uh, it is a weird thing. If you have a great idea, it, you better make sure that you're putting it out correctly into the uh, in, into the zeitgeist because otherwise um, it could get it could be a really damaging thing. Wow. So tell me a little bit about how um, block time travel, am I saying that correctly, Mm -hmm. Um, how it works within Synchronic. I don't know if we should, though, because I think it gives away... A little too much? I think it gives away the central mystery of the movie that comes like halfway through. Then let's just start with a synopsis, just like the log line. Oh, yeah, yeah. Synchronic is about these two New Orleans paramedics who have been friends for years, and they're increasingly coming across these really bizarre first responder calls of people dying in all types of bizarre ways. And uh, 
And uh, I should actually, it's all linked to this designer synthetic drug called Synchronic, and I should probably just stop there. Yeah. yeah. And, synch- and Synchronic is sort of like the mythological bath salts or something where it's like, oh, it's these, again, designer synthetic drugs sold over the counter in like smoke shops and stuff like that. Nice. So let's dive into some of our favorite time travel movies. Um, are there any throughout time that have just really intrigued you? I know, Dave, you were talking at the top about time crimes and revisiting it. Oh, my God, that was so much fun. I mean, we love Nacho to begin with. Uh, I don't think I've seen that movie in, in probably five or six years since, I've, since I first met him. And I just love the idea that, that, that he becomes his own villain in that film and, and he has to do these things to in order to fulfill his own destiny. Uh, I just thought that was such a such a smart use of time travel. I love the simplicity of yeah. it, because if you think about it, it's literally only three actors yeah. the entire time, but the main character becomes kind of, again, as you mentioned, kind yeah. of his own antagonist yeah. um, as he's moving through this. It's just such a smart, simplistic movie in the way that it, it kind of works itself out plot-wise. I couldn't, I couldn't help, because that's how my brain works, I couldn't help but to watch it and be like, Man, this would be so easy to shoot because you just have to shoot the same scenes from several different camera angles. <laughs> yep, it's all <laughs> it's POV. Yeah. That's immediately where my brain went. It's like, oh man, this this could have been a real quick shoot because, like, really, you only have a couple different set pieces. Also, and Nacho's awesome in that movie. He's great. I mean, he's great. In I mean, I don't speak Spanish, so I assume he's awesome. Yeah. He seems awesome. The subtitles were killer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I was like, oh, that's that. You, you just do three different POVs mm. on on every single scene. I, I had a I had a thought when I was revisiting that movie, and because um, that one takes uh, the the point of view, uh, I think it would be called fatalism, where basically you couldn't change, you can't change, you can't change it, no matter what you try. The more mm-hmm. you try, the more you actually fulfill the prophecy. And then there's Back to the Future, where you go back and you change stuff, and it starts changing the future, and it can be changed. And um, and I started realizing uh, that there are there are only actually a few. Once you know you're in a time travel movie, there's only a few ways to treat it. Either you're fulfilling your own prophecy or you're not. Or there's something kind of like, um, probably like Donnie Darko, where, it's, where you don't even know it's a time travel movie and all you're doing is just preventing a, a paradox mm-hmm. that, that kills everything. Um, and then there's, there's, there's other ways to do it where you just like don't, don't treat it as a grandfather paradoxy at all. Um, but I kind of wonder, and, and an exploration for everyone at the table... Is there any other way to explore it? Is there anything else besides like, do you change the past or do you not change the past? That's a good question. And this isn't exactly an answer, but I think that one of the important things that you just brought up is the idea of fate, even just calling it fatalism, because as soon as we say fate, that implies that there is a grand design or God for each one of us that has determined, okay, Aaron, you are going to go to the post office today, and no matter what course of events you go through, you are going to end there. So that would imply that there is some type of larger thing at work determining our fates. And I'm always intrigued that that gets lumped into time travel. Um, the idea that we can't control it no matter what we do. I, I just remembered something uh, I told you about a few, few like months ago. One, one of those like weird Wikipedia dives. And you're just like, whoa, what is this thing? Um, so that's determinism, right? Is mm-hmm. that the idea that if you know the, the charge and spin of, and velocity of every particle, then you can t- predict the future, basically. Um, and I think quantum theory, because it actually is really random, like actually random, um, blew holes in that. 
and it's just it's it's still pretty accurate mm-hmm. you know i mean but uh but because there's a, any kind of actual randomness in the universe um uh blows determinism out of the water it has to uh but there the thing that i that i read about was called fatum theory or fatum theory and it's these this group of people that uh um can't remember they call themselves randonauts that's it randonauts is this a real thing real thing okay yeah uh and they use a quantum computer that like measures the the not not a quantum computer but like they measure some quantum element that is something like the vibration of a magnetic field or something like that in order to produce an actually random number because a random number generator still can be determined by like electricity on the circuit board and all that but this is like an actually random came out of space number um, as far as we know, it is random, according to quantum theory. And then they turn those numbers into coordinates, and they go there, because that is one place that they otherwise would have never gone, according to determinism. N- like, no matter what, even if determinism led them to reading that number, that number was always going to be random, and they go there, and they just look around and see what happens. So it's completely yeah. fighting against fate. Yeah, and it, ha- and it has to normally, it normally has to be a place that's kind of hard to get to. Or it's not. It doesn't have to be. It's just a, a coordinate that comes out of a of a you know a quantum computer. But yeah, is it's kind of sc- the idea of doing that's scary. It or is. you're you're getting you're breaking out of your own deterministic tunnel. Guys, uh, I think I'm retiring after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, I kind of want to do it. I'm I've never no, done that it. That totally sounds wild. I feel like the universe would end. <laughs> it's you know, so a, scary. There was a fun movie um, that I saw at Fantasia a couple of years ago, and the name is escaping me now, but I will, um, listeners, I will be sure to include it on the cheat sheet that focused on determinism, and it was about a group of scientists, and one tries to kill the other. This isn't a spoiler. You learned it in the first 10 minutes because he has cheated determinism. He has determined every molecule, every ounce of their beings down to the, the, the smallest particles so that he can tell where they will be at any given time in this house and is therefore rigged the entire house to like drop stuff on them and uh, you know defeat them that way. And everything is preset um, because he has been able to do this. And he, it started with them doing an experiment of breaking a glass where they were trying to determine, depending on how you drop the glass, exactly how it will break um, down to the, the millimolecules. And so, yeah, determinism, it just completely weirds me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very cool. And now we need, like, a random number generator so we can all go and completely break our fates. Explore. Explore. So, um, yeah, so other favorite time travel movies? Mm. Oh, uh, mm. Interstellar. Yeah. And it's not, it does it great. I don't think I've seen that one in a really long time. Yeah. That, oh my gosh, I need to revisit. So yeah. it, it, tell us a little bit about why that one. Well, I, I think, you know, using time dilation in the context of a father not watching his children grow mm-hmm. up and then re-meeting them as they're actually older than he is, it's, it's a very emotional thing. Uh, and uh, and also, by the way, that that's the one that we're all going to talk about today. Like, oh, the time dilation as it relates to special relativity that's actually a real thing mm-hmm. observable um that's and that that's wild and it was used as the best like emotional storytelling device in a time travel yeah. movie well and what's weird is that that movie that movie swings so far for the fences because mm-hmm. it does it twice right mm-hmm. it goes one on a on i think a is it a super dense planet is that why the time yeah. dilation is so strong yes 
So one's on a super dense planet where he loses his daughter's entire childhood. Mm -hmm. And then another one is, you know, you can't shoot yourself into a black hole, but we're assuming that you can in the movie and, um, and goes into a tesseract and therefore does go back in time and becomes his own ghost, which is really cool. Um, and all emotional. It's all for his daughter, the whole thing. And actually that, that device of, because he's he's so he's, it turns out he's in a black hole communicating with his daughter in a house that they're kind of using the sort of haunted house misdirection mm -hmm. that is just like is it called the the house at the end of time the south yeah, yeah. the house uh, at yeah, the yeah, end yeah. of time uh, uses a similar thing and what's also interesting about the house at the end of time they don't get into this in the movie but when the priest is like I, uh, you know here's what's problem I kind of know what's happening at your house and I think he's the one who references. Um, Hey, this house was built by an English Freemason. Yeah, that's like that, that's like a weird. They never get deeper into it, but the idea there is, uh, it's like ritual magic type stuff, like right? Freemason magic. Like, I'm not saying Freemasons actually do magic. It's just that when you think of Freemasons, most people you also think of like weird conspiracy theories. You think yeah. of like Illuminati, yeah. but then if you do a kind of a deeper dive, you get into this realm of like, oh, there were magical societies in, they say in English, English Freemason, in England, turn of the century, early 1900s, there were magical societies, mm -hmm. a lot like Freemasons, even the temples look similar. Um, and, and it's really interesting that they chose to use that as like, well, because he built this house, there's like time rifts here. Yeah, it also makes me wonder why specifically English, and it makes me wonder if it's, if it's supposed to be Aleister Crowley. That, well, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the when he says English, it's not just a Freemason, which is a worldwide organization, yeah. but it's just like, hmm. I'm always confused. There's only one. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if he was a Freemason, but, but I know there was a... My grandfather was a Freemason. They gave me a oh, scholarship cool. when I went to college. I possess no magical powers. I uh, even inherited his ring. No magical powers. <laughs> maybe maybe it just hasn't been unlocked <laughs> yeah, yet. You that's probably it. My, my grandfather was a Freemason, and when he passed away, someone broke into our house and stole the ring. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, maybe that one did have the magical powers. Maybe. Could be. But I, I, well, the, the thing... I, I'm pretty sure that the magical societies of the early 1900s in England, that movement... They were sort of an offshoot of Freemasonry, mm -hmm. so there are some similarities. However, okay. no one should ever say that Freemasons do. No one knows. I mean, it's a secret society, but I don't think they actually do ritual magic. I think the vast majority of <laughs> so, it is doing charity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Thank you for and, your scholarship. Hanging out and drinking beer. <laughs> but um, doing house, magic. House <laughs> at doing the magic. Uh, <laughs> doing magic, drinking beer. House at the end of time in general, I liked because there was not a lot of explanation. Um, some movies I love when they kind of get into, I'll call it the pipe, um, the pipe of how the water gets there. But for that one, um, the movie setup is just that this woman's, um, they're in their house. It's this weird, creepy house with this weird architecture. And um, her son disappears, if I remember correctly. And everyone kind of accuses her of the crime. And then over time, things change. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's a very self-contained, smart setup that's an Argentinian film if I remember correctly yeah and it's it's one of the f there's not very many movies that use ghosts as a mix misdirection for time travel but we've just named a couple today already yeah. Interstellar yeah. does it uh, we have a movie that does it uh, yep. <laughs> Even though that it's not um, the, the cleanest movie, um, Haunter does it as well, I remember. What's um, that? This is one from a couple of years ago. Um, real small, self-contained um, girl in a house who thinks that her house is haunted. And it, it ends up being kind of a time travel twist to it. But it's real self-contained where they know they're not allowed to leave the house and they can't figure out why. Um, kind of no exit with ghosts, but then at the end, the twist um, is, is a little bit more time travel oriented. Mm. Um, so yeah, that one's kind of a deep cut. Can, can we, uh, before I forget, so 
I think we, we all probably want to talk about Dead End a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. The most important thing to know about Dead End is that it made $77 million in home video in 2003. That totally makes sense, though. We talked about this the whole way over. <laughs> oh, my God. We're just like, that is a French movie starring Ray Wise and, and company. And Lynn Shay. And, and, uh, and it made $77 million, and I just... I, our industry is completely broken at this point. Like, it's one of it's, it's one of my favorite Lynn Shay movies. Mine too. I, I, love it's her. I love her. In yeah. And she, even she is like that moment I gave myself an orgasm by rubbing my own brain, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's just a fantastic moment in the movie. Um, but the setup of Dead End is just so simplistic, and it's something that we've seen in cinema a few times over, but they've just done it really, really well. Where it's a family who is traveling um, somewhere for Christmas. It's technically a Christmas movie, and. Um, this family is all shoved in the same car. They've got some dysfunction going on. And all of a sudden, they, um, the father, Ray Wise, decides to take a shortcut, and they end up on this really old, desolate, rural country road. And things start repeating, and creepy things start happening, and no matter how hard they try, they can't get off of this country road. Mm. And um, it is just got some phenomenal build. I think that that, I remember seeing that one on home video in 2003 um, with Dave. I remember we rented that and uh, just being completely blown away by how just unnerving it is the whole time and where it goes. Mm. I just watched that for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Oh, you've never seen I it before? Never seen it. I'd never seen it before. And thoughts? I loved it. I loved it. Like I said, Lin Shay is, is brilliant in that movie. Also, it has a lot of character archetypes that are not allowed anymore yeah <laughs> that is <Yeah>. true <laughs> um, it's also it's a french film so well yeah. you get away with it yeah. yeah the the character of richard is never would never be allowed in today's cinema it's also it's one of those movies that has one of those covers usually well, it has many different covers but usually the key art looks like something where it's like oh this looks just like any low budget horror film but it actually is it's one of those movies where it's like Hey, if you've got a criticism of it, the criticism is something like, well, it's just an extended episode of The Twilight Zone. And for me, it's like, that's not a criticism. That sounds great. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, the, but the other thing about that, that movie is uh, the reason I saw it, it was aggressively marketed to me from Netflix before there was Netflix Digital. It was, like right, it was actually right at the beginning of Netflix Digital. So this is when you were still getting DVDs by yeah. mail? And, and when they – and like – I remember whatever they used to tell you what other movies you would like at the time to rent via mail, Dead End was like always on it. They pushed it hard. Wow. So what I'm saying is that's why it made $77 million on home videos. It was you. Because you Netflix. It was just you. And it was Netflix pushing it hard in the, um, <laughs> the, the forgotten DVD subscriber market. I remember it on an end cap in Blockbuster. And that's where I rented it. But I remember it being on like the new recommended horror and cap and blockbusters. So yeah, definitely a good one. Um, so you, uh, Dave, had mentioned Edge of Tomorrow as one of your favorite ones when I was originally asking kind of what what Can we ones call it you Live, Die, and Repeat? I it, like that name so much it's better. It's so much better. It's yeah. such a better title. Um, yeah, no, I love that one. I, that, that, the, idea of, the idea of somebody knowing what's going to happen because they've already lived it and had to do so repeatedly. Uh, I know. I love the, I love the idea that that's how someone becomes great is just they have to do the same thing repeatedly until they get it right. And again, not a, a new concept we've no. seen in Groundhog Day. We saw it later in Happy Death Day. But this one does it so smartly um, because it's all about kind of how he has to save the world. It's not just getting the girl or something simplistic or stopping your own death. It is literally like a save the world save concept more. with amazing explosions and oh, alien the action. The set pieces in that are so fun. They're just beautiful. Yeah. And I love 
love um, that movie because it's all of the minutia. It's it's not these broad strokes for saving the world or like that you have to learn to do these major, major tasks. It's always the smaller stuff that matters. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a really, really good one. And then I also included Triangle mm. um, as one. Have you guys all seen Triangle? I saw it, I saw it a long, a long time, time mm. ago. Uh, this was one of those that I saw on home video that um, I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did. I thought it was just a ghost ship movie because um, the setup is just a group of kids go yachting, or I guess they're not kids in it, they're, they're young adults, go yachting, and they end up on this very strange, deserted cruise ship, and then they start discovering that things aren't functioning normally on the cruise ship, that things get weird, and the whole setup is that it's in the Bermuda Triangle. But it has some really good jump scares built out of the time riffs yeah i i just i looked it up trying to refresh myself for this episode and uh and it was weird where normally you can see those diagrams about how primer works and Mm -hmm. you're like and you finally you're like oh i I think i actually understand primer i got this um they had one for triangle and i gave up (laughs) (laughs) that confused i always thought that it functioned as a triangle but the more that i watched the movie i was like no no that's not right either it could have been that the diagram was overly complicated but if that was what it was i was just like whoa this movie is punching way above its weight. <laughs> no doubt. Um, so some of the other ones that I definitely wanted to mention here. So you mentioned Primer. Talk a little bit about that one for me. Well, that, that one's cool because it also, it, that one actually I just realized that's probably my favorite theory, not of, of time travel, but probably of how a time machine might exist. Mm-hmm. The idea being, oh, the reason we don't, it answers the question, where are all the time travelers, right? Because it's like, well, we haven't built the machine yet and turned it on. Once you turn it on, that's when you can go back to, and that's that's how Primer works, and uh, and of course Primer's ambition has them building, you know, machines and taking them through other machines and backup machines and all of that. Um, that gets really wild by the end, and, and honestly, kind of terrifying when he's building a warehouse-sized machine at the end. But um, but that I I actually somehow had never come across even that idea before I'd seen that movie of oh that's why. That's why there's people not doing it. It's small. It's just like a little box you crawl into, and uh, and it can only be since it was activated is the only, is when you can go back to. So, that one completely blew my mind when I first saw it, both as yeah. like a filmmaker and as a time travel enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that the whole thing is basically centered in, in one location mm-hmm. and with only slight changes throughout just completely is it's so smart the way that it's put together. Yeah. Um, so some of the other ones here, John dies at the end. Um, I actually, I was around on the internet when it, when the story came out. Um, and, uh, and it was, you know, obviously it was such a huge sensation then, um, this guy writing this wild shaggy doggy kind of time travel movie. Um, but I realized, uh, there's, um, there's a, there's a comparison. Oh man, I can't say it. Never mind. Soy sauce has some very interesting properties that uh, that you might <laughs> you might <laughs> spoilers. Yes, <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. I can't. I can't even comment. I'll cut that part out. No yeah. worries. <laughs> Soy sauce is a is a drug that causes time travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. 
So, and that one um, opens up a different question of time travel versus um, kind of the multiverse or going into other dimensions, which we see in altered states even. Where in altered states, he's traveling to what is perceived as different dimensions, but he's kind of going back to primordial states through that, even though that they're not exactly, they're jumping dimensions, but within that, they are jumping time. And so there's a lot of um, crossover between the idea of the multiple dimensions and the multiple time frames. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, and this is probably similar to Michael Crichton's timeline, mm -hmm. and I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure what the idea is, is that um, if there are basically infinite universes, that means there's infinite possibilities in every universe, and thus time travel could just be going to a universe that is simultaneously running right next to ours that just happens to be like 100 years behind, mm. right? Yeah. So it's, it's just going to another universe where you get to experience the t time that happened in our universe earlier just happening mm. right now. And yeah. I, I don't I, know. I may have made that more complicated than it actually no, was. No, no, but no, yeah. no, I, think I always heard it as like stacks of paper. Like if you look at a stack, like a ream of paper, and each one of those is a different universe that's functioning on a different timeline, can you cross the ream of paper instead of just traveling mm -hmm. within your own plane of mm -hmm. existence? I, I just remembered what, what, what the, the infinite universes thing. Um, there's actually... I remember this from my philosophy to the, the, the same thing where it's uh, people use it as a proof of God. Um, and I think it's called the ontological or teleological argument where they go. Uh, oh, my God. Hang on. I'm going to I'm going to pull this out. You can get rid of the umming. It's something like. Uh, if there's infinite universes, then God must exist in one of them because they're infinite. But God wouldn't be God if he didn't exist in all universes. So if he exists in one, therefore he must exist in all. Therefore God exists. That was the proof. Wow. Isn't that weird? That's heavy. Yeah. That's super heavy. But, but that brings us back to people using really interesting physics theories as um as 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 as, 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 as of God. As, as, like proof of God, new yeah. age because also there's like so many new age spiritual movements that use um sort of perverted quantum mechanics. Oh my god. Yes. Like, like talk about that. That sounds well, like like there's different there's so many different interpretations of like the double slit experiment, what exactly is is happening with those subatomic particles. What's the double slit? Oh man. I I've had this explained to me and I've had to study it actually in classes so many times, but I'm so bad at explaining it. It's like if you are shooting photons or electrons through two double slits with a detector on the other side of the two double slits, the the reason for the experiment was to measure whether these you should be these things should be measured as as uh, as waves or particles. Um, but the results of the experiment vary under I guess you could call it mysterious circumstances. Mm -hmm. But but they there's interpretations of the experiment where. It's like, oh, is it human consciousness that's changing the experiment? Um, or is it another universe interfering with the experiment? There's so many fun theories, um, but these are very controversial things and extremely complicated, way more complex than the explanation I just gave. But like a spiritual New Age movement might take the one where it's like, well, it's consciousness affecting the behavior of subatomic particles. That suggests that your consciousness has this power over mm -hmm. matter, literally. But for one that interpretation may be totally incorrect. And for two, subatomic particles aren't soccer balls. Yeah. They're subatomic my, particles. My, my, favorite part of <laughs> so that, my favorite part of that whole theory is that, that by measuring them, we are changing them, thus 
by measuring them, you are corrupting your own experiment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the thing is, is physicists get go completely nuts when people take this because it is a very bizarre experiment. The problem is, is the results are... If you simplify the interpretation, you get things like, as he was saying, like, oh, well, we should have telepathy. And, and it's, it's like, actually just believe like, in yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's the secret. It's the secret. Yeah, exactly. Just believe you have telepathy really and like, you've got no, telepathy. Guys, it's, it's just that it breaks down into a potential wave function, which is a mathematical model. Do you know what that means? And they're like, no, I, I, I can believe in myself. And I have telepathy. You know, and that's the problem where it's like it's, it's a very interesting and mysterious and, and mind-bending thing, but it doesn't it doesn't actually have real world application in terms of metaphysics yet. You know, it's just, it's a mathematical experiment. You guys are blowing my mind here today. I actually, if you want even just like a little bit more, I you do. can take all of the little tidbits we're saying and go find like the five minute YouTube explanation and they'll do it better than we did. And, uh, and they're really fun and they have visuals and everything. And, oh. and that's probably just where we got a, it from. Another great one. I always, they're going to roll their eyes. I always say this, but uh, Fabric of the Cosmos by Brian Greene. Yeah, that's it. That one kind of breaks down all the fun physics stuff in a way that that isn't super woo woo. And, and it's, is, it's on uh, Hulu, right? The documentary is on Hulu. Yeah. The book is on Amazon. Right. Well, yeah. Brian, also, Gr- Brian Green owes me like five dollars. It's now. also on Audible. That's where I'm currently listening <laughs> to it. It's a 22 hour book. Oh, wow. Oh. Or there's a four hour TV show. Yeah. Just nice. throwing it out there with visuals. Yeah, 22 hours versus four hours. I'll take 22. Give me the All right, big dive. boy. Give me the deep dive. <laughs> I'm going to give you a couple more deep dive titles to discuss here. This one's not as much a deep dive. Predestination. Um, I, I, that movie blew my mind when I saw it. <laughs> yeah, me because, too. Because that is so, it, it is so ambitious that they did that. And, um, and also, I was just like jealous of them that they got to work with Ethan Hawke. Um, but the... Uh, one day. Like, we're, we're spoiling the movies, right? Yeah, you can spoil this one a little bit. Usually my rule, um, which is different from Shockwaves, is if the movie has been out for three years, yeah. okay. I say, okay, you can you can give it a little bit. Like, I would never yeah. come on and be like, don't just talk about the ending of The Shining. Yeah. People might not have seen <laughs> it. Like, I usually will give, like, a three to four year leeway, and then um, it's fair game. I That movie's ambition is so high, uh, interstellar level high, I think, uh, where it's just like... Oh yeah, there's a. The only thing they don't do is talk about like, oh, the origin of the the end of the universe or something like that. Yeah. Where it's you know they start with time travel, and then they go <laughs> they they go okay, so these two people are the same. Actually, these two people and their child actually all the same person, and also the agent trying to find them, <laughs> and they also cause their own birth and they cause their own death. Every it's just one, there's one person in the whole movie. It's after, the coolest no, it's, idea it's in the world. It's the wildest thing ever. And after I saw it the first time, I wanted to draw a chart because I was like, that can't work. That totally can't work. And then people on the internet had already done it for me. And yeah, I oh, guess it internet. technically could work. Yeah. So. You, you do have to swallow that if someone gets burns and then facial reconstructive surgery, they look like Ethan Hawke. You have to swallow that fact. It's a and that, damn that feels good a little, That's a hard one. But well, if ta- you can, you get the coolest time travel movie With time ever. travel, you could go into the future and, and get a nice... Oh, really a good. Really yeah. good Ethan Hawke-style reconstruction. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Predestination um, it was on the indie circuit a couple of years ago and definitely didn't get as much love as I felt it deserved. That was one that, when I saw it, just completely blew me away. Spirit Brothers end up doing really well for themselves, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so then The Jacket. I haven't seen this one in a while, but as I was uh, talking about this on socials, one of our listeners was like, oh, The Jacket's phenomenal. Do you guys remember this I- one? 
I, I haven't seen it, but I was drunk in a bar on Christmas Eve with Simon Barrett, and he told me that it shares some things with Synchronic, but I haven't seen it. It's a little bit. It's a little yeah. bit. I've, I've, I used to own it back when I had DVDs. Not all Blu-rays now, baby. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I, I, for me, I just remember being like, I just love Kira Knightley. You know, that, yeah. that was how I felt about it. But um, because I think it's a very, it, it's a, it's a, it's a relationship-based movie that is very, uh, a very simple version of time travel. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very. Um, I think it's just the, the multiverse kind of version of it. They yep. don't say those words, mm-hmm. but I think it's one of those things where you can change things, but it branches off into a, into a separate mm. um, thing. Mm. But I, I think it's relatively simple where they go, he goes into a, he goes into a, what's it called? The jacket. I thought he I goes th- into a he's box. He's putting on he's some putting type, on it's jacket? like a straight, it's like a okay. restraining jacket right. that allows him to, to kind of uh, remove his senses enough to do yeah. it. Oh, Okay, this is a, oh, it is a time travel movie. Um, but it's actually I, I I don't even remember if I saw the movie or not. But the book, the time traveler's wife, mm-hmm. that that book is the, like the most heartbreaking time travel book I've ever read. I read it three times. I don't know if I've read that. Oh, please just take a look. It's it is the it is the most heartbreaking thing, and it comes from the point of view of somebody who is married to someone who spontaneously time travels. And he can be so spontaneously as in like, like, like just, spontaneous making combustion. The dinner. Yeah. Making, making dinner and he's gone and she doesn't know when he's going to come back. Um, and he could come back one second later and he just is, he's almost dead. And he's like, I've been gone for 20 years and he's aged and everything like that. Uh, and, but he also visited her when she was a child as well, because it, he's just like weirdly anchored to her. It is so heartbreaking. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely putting it on the list. Um, so next up under the deep cuts, I have time lapse. I found this one on Netflix a couple of years ago, and I've discovered that a, a lot of people haven't seen this one, but it's, it's very, very small about, um, a group of college students who find this old camera and they discover that when they take a picture of something with it, it shows that thing one day in the future. So if they take a picture of a lottery ticket, it will show them holding like the winning numbers. Or if they take a picture of a newspaper article about a horse race, it'll show the next day's headline of which horse won. Sorry, and I like so, I like the idea of taking a picture of the lottery ticket and then one day later it's still the same lottery ticket. It's the ticket, same lottery because the ticket so it's didn't like, change. It's the same lottery ticket. And there is yeah. a, that's that's part of the problem with the movie is there is a lot of kind of how does this function? Um because things start changing that are not necessarily in line with that specific object. But what they do um, quickly start realizing as they are seeing these pictures that things are changing about themselves um, and that people will be looking angry at someone in the next day's picture and things like that. So they realize that things are unraveling and so it becomes less about um, using it to for financial gain and more about um, foreseeing problems that are happening between themselves and trying to preempt that and that causing more problems. So again, it gets into fatalism. fatalism yeah. mm-hmm. The idea that everything is predetermined, that this uh, horse winner and whether or not these two people will get into a massive fight or you know kill each other is all predetermined and that there's no way to stop it and that the camera's just kind of giving you a glimpse of it. Mm. Um, but that one, it's real small, definitely kind of an indie sci-fi one with some horror notes, but um, I, that was on cool. Netflix as of last year, so... Um, definitely see if it's still there. 
Um, another deep cut that I love, and this gets into the idea of kind of if we do have time travel, is there a timeless space where time stops existing? Um, and this is a French film from 1994 called A Pure Formality. Um, and so, yeah, this one. Um, what is this movie? So All this right. one, and it's got Roman Polanski and Gerard Depardieu in it. And it is about a writer who has been accused of killing his wife. And is taken to a police station for questioning, and the police investigator is Roman Polanski, and quickly realizes that in this particular space, time has stopped existing. Like, it becomes almost like a purgatory um, where nothing exists. There, There is no outside world. They can't figure it out how to get back to the world where they were. It just becomes, there's nothing. Um, and so I love this one because it's, it's the anti-time travel, like there is no time and nothing exists and how that relates back to the murder and everything becomes very intricate as the movie goes on. Um, but again, really, really small where it's just the police station. It like literally begins with a couple flashbacks of the murder. The three of them, it's two investigators and Gerard Depardieu walking into the police station and then it stays there the entire movie because there's nothing outside. Mm. And, um, so that one, the whole idea of kind of when time stops existing we stop aging everything stops what happens then i thought was a really fascinating approach and you're stuck in a police station in a police <laughs> station. it's like the worst yeah. place. like bad coffee and stale donuts yeah and they explore that they explore that there's like nothing there that there's like nothing will work the phones no longer work it's pouring rain outside and they can see it on the windows but nothing will open um so there's no way out but it's a French police station, right? It's a French yeah. police. Maybe they, they have, have good some pretty coffee. good food. Croissant. Oh, good better croissant. Better yeah. A little bit nicer. They yeah, get some but, sandwiches. But the coffee takes forever to brew. <laughs> That's not funny. Don't laugh at that. Are you saying it's on its own time? It's on its own time. Yeah. Coffee. Coffee's timeless. Um, so the caller, and though this movie for me, this is a Puerto Rican movie from um, a couple of years ago, and though the movie has problems with me, um, or I have problems with the movie, what it does, it's got problems with me. <laughs> Um, what it does raise is kind of these momentary things where time only warps for one object. Um, so we've seen movies where time only warps through a ham radio. And for some reason, this ham radio is able to pick up frequencies from other time periods. In The Caller, a woman moves into an apartment and she starts getting phone calls, but she realizes that the phone calls that she's getting are from the apartment in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And she starts hearing about a murder and all this drama that would have taken place in the apartment in the 1960s and starts using it to kind of solve a mystery that's happening in current day. Um, and it gets really psychotic and almost lifetimey at moments. Um, but the idea of only one object being affected by time travel, there's a couple of those movies that exist mm-hmm. out there, or even the camera definitely yeah. has that, that the one object can kind of circumvent time. Yeah, it's very Twilight zone Yeah. Um, there's also, there's kind of a deep cut. There's a, This one's pretty, pretty, I don't know. It's pretty deep cut. But the, the um, well, no, it's uh, it's called uh, Doctor Strange. Mm. Uh, and, <laughs> and there's one object I, he I has I haven't seen <laughs> called that. the Eye of Agamotto. Uh, you know? <laughs> um, Vaguely familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Vaguely. And actually the Avengers <laughs> are uh, three and four. But speaking of really big movies, um, can we talk about a movie that doesn't even exist yet? I just want to say my theory on it because I saw the trailer. Here's my theory uh, on Christopher Tenet. Nolan's Tenet. All right. Ooh. Yeah, Tenet looks so, cool. So, uh, back to what we're talking about, uh, uh, basically block universe, where it's like, okay, all of all of space time treated as as Brian Greene says, treated as 
not a flowing river, but a frozen river. Um, and that we used to experience time as linear, but actually it's a closer thing. Like, oh, it's probably more like it's all happening simultaneously. Well, part of, part of the big idea behind that in physics is that according to most of our models and according to most of the math, it, time should be directionless. And that's, that's where block state comes from. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, it shouldn't, it, the, the, everything works the same in these equations, but for some reason in life, we only go in one direction. And the reason that's given for that is like, oh, it's a theory on why that is, is entropy, because we have entropy in our universe. Well, if you could, in science fiction logic, if you could then, if you could reverse entropy, you could reverse time. So I'm looking at the trailer, seeing things going in reverse. Right. And the movie's called Tenet. It, it works both yeah. ways. It's it, a palindrome. It's a palindrome. Yeah. Oh. So it's sort of like what I just expressed about time being directionless. So if in the movie there's an organization that learned how to reverse entropy, that means they could reverse time. Entropy and that's what as we're in shrinking? Entropy is in the thermodynamic principle of everything's going to disorder, right? Okay. And, yeah. Yeah. Ka everything becomes chaos eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's supposedly the theory as to why we only experience time in one direction in the theory it's got something probably to do with entropy um but again if an organization in christopher nolan's movie learned how to reverse entropy that means they could reverse time and thus operation tenet reversible he's, he's gonna be so mad at you if you just pulled that from the trailer well i mean eventually kinda, they're gonna have to give us blew the, so his what, movie. what it is is we were sitting down <laughs> and coming up with some ideas for a pitch and uh and then that was it where it's like can we reverse entropy and then, and then it was, we were just like, oh man, I think that's what Tenet's about. <laughs> because, like, because actually what it was was like, okay, so what does reversing entropy look like? It's like, well, you'd be able to walk forward while everyone else walks backwards. Like, Hang on a second. Like in that <laughs> oh my gosh. You guys just blew that movie for him. That's very cool though. I hope I'm completely wrong. And this just sounds like nonsense. No, when the movie comes I, I want to be wrong. I want to be shocked at a movie's uh, uh, bold ideas I've never even thought of myself. So in entropy theory, would it only affect one person where you've got like, you could walk backwards while everyone else is walking forwards or would it affect everyone? It's, it's, it's almost actually, it's very similar to how the aliens supposedly operate in arrival. Spoil mm -hmm. Spoilers. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's not a spoiler. Yeah. So the aliens, uh, experience the, the heptapods, the heptapods, uh, they experience time backwards and it's, there's nothing mentioned about entropy in that way, yeah. but the, but for them effect and cause are uh, cause and effect are reversed. They, they, they see the effect and then go and learn the cause of everything. And, um, and so it must be very weird up, like even communicating with us. That's one of the things that's so cool about the movie is imagine communicating with someone that is, that is speaking backwards and also their ideas come backwards and everything. Um, and so that's why their, their language in the movie is just a circle. It's just a, a single quick image, you know, it's sort of messed up though that, I mean, now we know from Dr. Manhattan that you can just relate with people and love them, even right. though you're experiencing everything at the same time. Right. So I have to wonder why the aliens in Arrival didn't do that. Yeah. Wait, hang and, on, and now I have a oh, new opinion had, of them. Had, it's like, guys, had they not, had they not read the Watchmen? Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Dave, the aliens, the aliens in Arrival never, <laughs> never read The Watchmen, so they didn't know that they would be able to relate in a deeper way, yeah. even though they're experiencing everything in a different... But they learned it. Yeah. They learned it because we, uh, you know, I mean, they, they helped us and, yeah. uh, and they, they brought us together with communication, you know. 
more than Dr. Manhattan did. Yeah. Fa- did fa- back to what you were talking about. <laughs> I'm really mad. The only th- the only thing I love Arrival and actually that that is probably my favorite time travel movie. I still think about I still think about the choice that she has to make in that movie. The so only good. the only thing that I'm mad about is that they took out the 45 minutes that was clearly in there describing how they learned to communicate yeah. and, and did a voiceover. Yeah. Like that's the only part where I'm like, "No, no, no, that's that's the whole movie." That's what yeah, I want yeah. I want to know how It's how funny. I I totally it. agree. I just I would have loved for them to crack it one little bit at a time yeah. for 45 minutes give and just time. have the movie be super long. Give us the explanation. Give me that director's cut. That's what I'm yeah. That's That's such a good point. Yeah. Um, so, and just for our listeners at home, I will, um, because as I'm sure some of you Star Trek fans are aware, there's a lot of Star Trek episodes that really delve into the idea of time travel and how it functions within the ship. Actually, one of the best horror episodes there is, is the ship is caught in a time loop, but there's small amounts of it bleeding over. So they start hearing whispers from them themselves the day beforehand and things like that. And it's blocking their REM sleep. So they're all going crazy anyway. And it's long considered to be kind of one of the scariest, um, Star Trek episodes. So Graham Skipper and I will be going deep into um, Star Trek's scariest episodes sometime soon. So that will definitely be coming as well. Um, Any other super awesome time travel movies? I was going to end with one of the theories, actually, um, that I love the most, which is just the most basic, that time is relative, that it seems longer at the beginning of our lives because we don't have the spectrum of it. We don't have the scope. When you ask a three-year-old how long a minute is, it does not seem as as long uh, or it seems longer because they don't have as many minutes in their lives and they don't have as much as a spectrum as if you ask an 80 year old how long a minute feels it's going to feel a lot shorter because they've experienced so many of them and so um time is relative guys is that can i throw out an also this is this is something that's simultaneously like but i i'm my girlfriend and my mom, separate people, are psychologists. And, <laughs> oh, uh, so you're just getting it from everywhere. And, uh, and, and I've asked them about this, you know, and, um, and, and kind of like just talking to them and, and asking about developmental psychology. It, I, uh, one of the things that they think of, of why your life starts to seem shorter as it goes is novelty, where your brain categorizes stuff that it's already seen before, literally just experiences they've done before, they've seen before as... Um, it categorizes it and, it and it kind of forgets it quickly. Uh, not forgets it, but it just kind of like puts it all into a, a, a uh, the same space. And so when you're a kid, everything's new to you. You've never experienced these things before. So everything seems to take forever because your brain is categorizing them separately instead of all as like one compressed thing. And, um, and then... So the you know there's that character in Catch Twenty Two who tries to not do as much as possible because mm-hmm. he feels like his boredom makes him live longer because it's like twelve hours of doing nothing feels longer than twelve hours of doing a whole bunch of oh, stuff. Yeah. But it but it but it ends up because of what I just said being the opposite because he just forgets every day and it's just like oh my god it's 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 been so long, um, and uh, and there's this book called Pushing Ice by Alistair Reynolds I think. That's um, that actually has it posits these these beings that experience time um, just only in terms of events. So if nothing happens for forty years, they didn't even experience it. Nothing at all. It was it was as if it was one minute to the next, like the event one one after the other. Which I kind of wish our brain did that. 
And so you, there's no waiting, <laughs> no boredom. That actually um, makes sense in a lot of theories when you look back. Like, why is everyone's teen years, like, so pivotal in creating us? And I've heard the theory that it's because there is so much happening. There is so much new stuff that we're processing. It's usually people's first time that they experience relationships, kind of your emergence into adulthood, staying away from the house for the first time, breaking up, you know, with mm-hmm. your parents or experience breakups with people. Um, and that because we have so many very specific first in our lives compact into like a five-year period that tends to be what people look back as like this pivotal moment in their life or definitely one of the ones that shaped them the most mm-hmm. um whereas by the time that you get to the 70s maybe not because you tend to not be experiencing those new things i i guess i guess what it would be is if your one of your goals is to ex- extend your life in terms of like how long it feels when you look back and and you're like oh that didn't feel like a blink and now i'm this old uh, it would be to pack your life with unique and challenging experiences. They have to be challenging because yeah. if they just if they're just fun, then they're not going to end up being unique. Um, uh, but but if they're if they're unique and challenging, and you constantly like keep on changing course, you're probably going to be a horrifying person to be around. But you will feel like you've lived uh, every second of your life. So there, we have just beat time travel for you right here on the show, guys. Um, so tell us a little bit about where we can find Synchronic. Uh, we don't know the exact release date yet as of recording this podcast, but it looks like it's going to be August, September. Uh, it'll be a nice wide release, so you should be able to see it in theaters as intended. Excellent. And what's next? Can you guys talk a little bit about, um, you're not just filmmakers, you are also producers and you have a couple of other things heading down the pipeline, right? Why are you looking at me? You guys are also producers. Just letting you have the microphone. No, 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 no. You have the microphone. Um, we, uh, we don't have anything announced yet, but we are, uh, we're taking a few TV shows out for some other people and well with, with some other people. And, uh, and we have this first look deal with the people who distributed the endless and synchronic, um, that we've been, uh, putting a few few movies through and hopefully trying to get some people that can't get a damn movie off the ground, get a damn movie off the ground. That's awesome. And you guys have one coming up that you produced at Sundance, right? Uh, Or sorry, South by. by. Amy Simons is, uh, she dies, uh, she dies tomorrow. And is this one time travel-y? It sounds fatalistic. No, No. it is not time travel-y, but it, it, I don't want to spoil anything. We're literally not giving anything away. Okay. We will have to see it at South By. Yeah. And then you've also got After Midnight coming up. Yep, that uh, that will have already premiered by the time this episode comes out. Uh, and we'll be on uh, VOD and anywhere, iTunes, all of those fun platforms. And are you guys gearing up to shoot anything else or pushing some uh, TV around? Still need a green light. Still need a green light. And if we don't get a green light soon, we're going to go pull The Endless and go make a tiny movie. I love that. And I've even talked, I talked about you guys um, on last, uh, the last episode of Nightmare University when I did micro budget filmmaking at Panic Fest and talked about how that that is the only way to get it done, that you wait mm-hmm. a little bit. And if it's not a perfect storm or nobody seems to be kind of, you know, waving their hands around, you just fucking do it. And I love that so much because it, it just keeps you moving forward mm-hmm. and it keeps your, your time is relative. So it keeps yeah. Building uh, different experiences. Justin uh, gave me the Duplass Brothers book, Like Brothers, for Christmas. And uh, it is the best book for that uh, that, you'll, that you'll ever read. It, or, I mean, I know that there's a lot, there's a, there's a long history of, of uh, books that tell you how to do it yourself, you know? This one feels modern, even though, you know, they did their DIY thing in like 2003. Mm-hmm. And they still are very, very hands-on and DIY. 
But um, but man, it will make you want to grab a camera immediately. And so what was that called again? It's called Like Brothers by the Duplass Brothers. Okay, great. Um, so tell us where we can learn about Synchronic on socials. Oh. Or uh, find you guys. Oh, well, you can that find would be us. Uh, you can find me, Justin, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Justin H. Benson. And at Aaron Moorhead, um, my name doesn't have an E in the middle of the last name. So it's very, it's very easy to follow, a, I think, a famous football player. Nice. Yeah. That's, who I, that's who I keep tweeting at. Uh, and I'm at David Lawson Jr., just JR. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for joining us on Nightmare University. Please check out Synchronic, headed your way soon. Thank you guys. Bye bye. Nightmare University is a Fangoria Podcast Network original produced and hosted by Rebecca McKendry, producer Natasha Pacetta, executive producers Dallas Saunier and Phil Nobile Jr., associate producer Jessica Safa-Vemer, art and design by Ashley Detmering, sound recording design and mixing by David McKendry, music by The Serpentines, for Fangoria, Brandon Wynerdy, Jason Koslerich, and Rachel Wilson.